So as we finish up our passage, our sermon series on 2 Timothy, today you can find our passage on page 996. It is uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9 and, and continuing through the end of the letter, verse 22. I invite you to turn there and I invite you to listen now to the word of the Lord. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message... So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila, and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, when you created us in our mother's womb and we were born, we were carried everywhere we went. And then eventually as we grew, we were able to sit up in our cribs, pull ourselves up on the edge of the crib. We learned to scoot and then eventually hold ourselves steady at the edge of a coffee table. We began to walk and skip and then eventually run. Lord, we know that's the natural order of things, but the spiritual order of things inverts that order. Your word says in Isaiah 40 that we will run and not grow weary, that we will walk and not grow faint. And so we're taught, Lord, by your word that as we grow in Christ, as we grow stronger and more mature in our faith, we actually inverse that order and we slow down from running from here to there, to walking, to pacing ourselves. And Lord, eventually, as your children, to climb up into your lap, into your eternal arms. We pray, Lord, this morning, that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, Lord, that we would slow down and that we would rest in Christ. And we would be reminded this morning that at the end of this life, we have the privilege of being cradled in your everlasting arms. Pray that you would speak through me now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I invite you to look with me at the final words that we have recorded that Paul wrote to his dear one, Timothy. You know, sometimes we uh, inflate the memory of people that we admire. For Christians, we can certainly do that with the apostles. We can think of them as superhuman saints. But we see here, Paul was a real human being with real human needs. He needs Timothy to come to him. He needs Luke to keep him company. He needed his cloak to keep him warm. He needed his books and parchment to keep his mind engaged. All these were provisions of the faithful God that he had trusted his life to. He's in Rome, and he's about to be martyred for the gospel. He will die at the order of the emperor Nero soon after this letter was written. He knows it's coming. When Paul was brought to court the first time, no one stood up for him. Some deserted him. Some deserted the faith. Others scattered for one reason or another. And those that were left in Rome, Paul tells us they were silent. Nowhere to be found. You see, this was a very dangerous time in the city of Rome. If anybody even appeared to be against Nero... He had forces all throughout the city to take them out. Nobody was willing to risk their life by standing with Paul. So he had to face this preliminary trial all by himself. But notice Paul's reaction. No anger, no malice, no judgment. Look at verse 16. He says, may it not be charged against them. What an incredible attitude. The fact that no one stood up for him as a character witness according to the laws of Rome was enough for him to be executed on that very day. Yet Paul says, I wasn't alone. What does he say? Look there. Paul says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I want this to be our testimony this morning. So keep the passage open. Look at these words with me and consider each phrase as it's filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And adopt that same, that same posture of, of gratitude to God. To see Jesus' presence and what it accomplishes. And it accomplishes four things that Jesus was with Paul at this time. Number one, Paul writes, The Lord stood by me. Paul wasn't alone. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew God was with you? There's no one around, but you know the presence of God is by your side. At the transfiguration of Christ, his divine glory was revealed. The curtain was pulled back just a smidge. Just a smidge. Excuse me. Jesus, as Lynn just read earlier, Jesus was physically transformed to remind his apostles of the glory where he had come from before he became a man as a preview of his future exaltation. Moses and Elijah were there to represent the fulfillment of the law and the prophets 
in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Paul knew he had been deserted because he knew the Lord Jesus was there. He knew Jesus in all of his glory was there. Hidden from sight? Absolutely. As Paul stood there, it looked like he was all alone. But he knew Christ was with him in the trial for his life. Do you have a similar testimony? Can you think right now of a time when you knew the presence of God and all of his power was present to you? Second, the Lord gave him strength, it says, to proclaim fully the gospel. There are many places I wish I could be at in, in history. This was one of them at this final sermon that Paul delivered. Certainly, I would love to have, have seen Peter deliver his first sermon on Pentecost Sunday. Top of the list would be Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. But can you imagine being there to hear Paul preach the gospel one last time in the center of the universe, known universe of Rome, to the people there? Even in grave personal danger, facing the probability of certain death, Paul isn't concerned for himself. He's concerned for Christ and his mission. He did what he had told Timothy to do earlier in the letter, in 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Can you imagine having this opportunity to clear your throat and to speak up and to proclaim the gospel. Let's be reminded of that gospel. Let's go back to sixth grade or second grade. Turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. We need to be reminded of the gospel, friends. First Corinthians 15. It's between First Corinthians 14 and 16. You'll find it. I'm just going to read the first 10 verses. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So he knows they have it, they've received it, they believe it, but he still wants to remind them of the basics. And by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's the gospel fully proclaimed. That's the gospel. The gospel telling everything we need to know about Christ and then sharing Paul's personal experience. Paul considered his conversion from a persecutor of the church to an apostle of the Gentiles as a holy, undeserved gift of God's grace. 
This was going to be the last opportunity for him to save himself. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a good speaker. He could take this opportunity, say the right words, and get out of court. But instead, he uses this opportunity to expound on the gospel in all of its rich fullness. Christ incarnate, kingdom advancing, crucified, risen, reigning, and coming again. Friends, I I want you to get this. The Lord didn't stand by Paul just for the sake of his peace of mind. The the Lord didn't stand by Paul just so Paul would feel good about himself. No, the Lord stood by him and strengthened him. So why? So he could complete his mission to preach to unreached people so they might hear and be saved. Maybe that court was full of Gentiles. Nobody was better suited than Paul the Apostle to preach one last time, to challenge men and women with the truths of the gospel. And Jesus had given him this purpose as Jesus even now gives you that same purpose. Do you realize that you may be in position to be the last human being someone ever hears the gospel proclaimed? It might be that phone call. It might be that visit to a hospital. It might be that co-worker who's depressed. If you remain silent, you have not fulfilled the mission for which you were saved. Do you realize that? You may be the one that Jesus has chosen, spoke to his father before the beginning of time and said, you know what? In 2013, in Maryland, I'm going to use that nurse or I'm going to use that retired person, or I'm going to use that high school student to bring one of my sheep in. Number three, Paul says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Do you see that there? Now, now some read that to mean that that Paul was afraid that he was going to be thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. The only problem with that is, a couple problems. One is the Colosseum wasn't built yet when Paul wrote this letter, so that would be a problem. Also, we know that Paul was a Roman citizen, and so according to all historical evidence, the law required that Paul was to be executed by another means. Although we know many, in fact, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of Christians died this way. No, I think more likely the line here is likely a reference to Nero. Or to Satan, that wicked schemer behind all the heresies and all false charges that were laid against Paul. The evil one had weakened the courage of Christians so they didn't dare stand up for Paul. And apparently the accuser also got a hold of of Alexander the coppersmith, did a number on him because he accused Paul and was a trouble to Paul throughout his ministry. All of this was part of Satan's scheme to accomplish Paul's death or at the very least destroy his testimony. But Paul says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18, he writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now what evil would threaten to keep Paul out of God's heavenly kingdom? 
What evil must the Lord rescue Paul in order to keep him safe? It wasn't death. Paul knew he was going to die. And we know, and it still is the truth, that death is but a doorway to the heavenly kingdom. So Paul wasn't saying the Lord will rescue me from death. Paul wasn't saying the Lord will rescue me from pain and suffering. The whole letter is about pain and suffering and the privilege that it is. So what was it? He already said in verse 6 that he expected to die. He knew the time of his departure had come. What was it that the Lord was going to rescue Paul from? What can threaten his entrance and your entrance into the heavenly kingdom? Answer number four. The evil work of unbelief can threaten his entrance and ours into the heavenly kingdom. Consider Peter's warning in 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is as true as it was 2,000 years ago as it is today. It means that Satan threatens to destroy Christians by attacking your faith. By attacking what you believe in. By attacking what you stand for. Why did Demas desert Paul? Look at the first verse of this passage, uh, verse 9. Why did he desert Paul? Because he was in love with the world. He loved the world. And he took his attention away from the prize. Satan can do a number on you too. Many of the problems and unexplainable difficulties of sudden complications that come into ministries, good ministries, sudden complications that can affect people that are involved in leading ministry can be attributed in large part to lions that seek to devour our faith, to destroy us, to weaken our testimony for Christ. When Paul says he was rescued, he doesn't mean I was rescued from death. I was rescued from pain. I was rescued from low morale. No, he means he was saved from unbelief. He was saved from apostasy. He was saved from loving the world like Demas had. He was saved from being ashamed of loving Jesus. He was saved from being a coward. He was saved from throwing it all away for a few more years of freedom and comfort. Jesus' presence accomplished all these things. Praise the Lord. Great is our God, greatly to be praised. Amen? That's why Paul has that doxology. He just, he just stops Luke in his tracks. He just says, let's just, let's just have a little worship service right now, Luke. We have been, you and I, have been entrusted with the sacred deposit of the gospel. I said last week that the gospel is sweet. This morning I want you to know that it is beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. Veiled in tears and ashes and pain and loneliness. And we look with our human eyes and we wonder, where is God in this? And we see things falling apart and not working out. And we see Paul about to die. He can say, it's a beautiful thing. I don't need to tell you what I'm talking about. 
We could go around this room row by row, and people could stand up in this church and share testimonies. I can testify that the gospel is beautiful. I can testify that I was not alone. I can testify that God gave me strength that I didn't ever know before. It's a beautiful thing. Paul issues to Timothy and to us a gospel charge. He says, guard it. Guard the gospel. Guard it because it's a precious treasure. Suffer for it because it is a stumbling block to the proud. Stand on it because it is the truth of God, what's really real in the world. Proclaim it because it is good news of salvation. And we're left to wonder, who is sufficient? Who among us is a super Christian? Who among us deserves the title saint in front of our name? The doctor, the physician Luke, we know, recorded uh, much of what Paul wrote. He dictated to him and wrote down. But I imagine here at the end, Paul picks up that pen in his own hand and writes verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. That's how. That's how. By God's grace to use you and to use me. The mission that he has called you for before you were created. Laid out a plan for the good works you would accomplish for his glory. Timothy was called to be a faithful, to be faithful in his generation. Who will be faithful in our generation? Who will stand for Jesus? Who will take a stand for the gospel in this room? This isn't rhetorical. Who's going to stand up for Jesus? Who's going to be the one to reach out to that neighbor that's falling apart and share with him the good news of the gospel? Who in this room is not going to be afraid to say, Jesus, Jesus is my Lord. I love Jesus. Who in this room will stand up for the truth and say, enough, we're not going to take it anymore. Who in this room is willing to sacrifice, to suffer, to not feel good about ourselves for a day because we're all alone, but know that God gets the glory? Friends, you can remain standing.